Hello, and thank you for checking out this episode of the From the Frontline podcast. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a key voice from the NHS or social care to discuss some of the key challenges and changes that impact the treatment and care we all receive. Throughout this podcast series, we'll be answering some of the big questions which face health and social care today, such as why are there massive delays in A&E, how do we beat the NHS winter crisis, and how can we make the future of digital health accessible for all. We hope that you'll finish each episode knowing a little bit more about the major NHS headlines and what needs to change if you are to deliver the best possible care for everyone in the UK. The From the Frontline podcast is brought to you by Healthcoms Consulting, who are part of the PLMR group. We hope you enjoy this episode. On today's episode, we're going to be talking all things the ambulance crisis in the NHS. Uh, we're delighted to have Richard Weber from the College of Paramedics with us today. Uh, Richard, before we get into the topic of discussion, it'd be great just to get a sense of your background uh, and your work in this area, really. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Richard Weber. I'm a national spokesperson for the College of Paramedics. I'm also a paramedic still working within the National Health Service. I work for one of the ambulance services and um, whilst I work in other areas within health, I, I do still have a clinical contract with an ambulance service and I work regular shifts undertaking either response car or ambulance shifts. Um, I've been a paramedic for over 20 years and in fact I've just completed 30 years in the ambulance service in total so I have a fair degree of experience um, clinically and, and operationally within the ambulance sector. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Uh, just before we started recording, we were just mentioning that ambulances have got a lot of press coverage in the last couple of months. Um, and it seems to be that politicians on both sides of the political aisle have identified ambulances and the way our ambulance service currently works in the NHS as a priority in terms of their agenda points. Um, with that in mind, a lot of our listeners would probably have heard of the term the ambulance crisis and have some sense of what that means. I suppose from your perspective and where you're sitting, if I was to say to you the ambulance crisis, um, what would that bring to mind? What are the key points that um, equate to an ambulance crisis from where you're sitting? I think the whole health sector is um, significantly under pressure at the moment. If um, you want to see a dentist, for example, it's very hard to see a dentist. If you want to see a GP, um, it's very hard to get a GP practice appointment in, in a timely fashion. Similarly, emergency departments are under severe pressure, so is the ambulance service. I think if you're ill, um, ill or injured, then people expect to be able to treat it quickly. And I think part of the um, agreement with the state is that we provide a functioning ambulance service and a functioning health service and at the moment I think it's fair to say in many of those areas it simply isn't working. Um, if you dial 999 for an ambulance and you're having chest pains or you're having a stroke um, the ambulance service should provide you a ambulance on scene within 18 minutes that's the national standard 50% of calls within 18 minutes and um, the 90% of patients should get an ambulance in 40 minutes. What's actually happening is that the last two months worth of figures that were published showed an average time of 59 minutes to get an ambulance for somebody having a heart attack or a stroke. And that people are waiting much longer than the 90% the within 40 minutes. Actually, we know now that 10% of patients wait over two hours. The other group of patients, the lower category, we call category three, those are the patients who are elderly people who have fallen, 
people who've got abdominal pain. So they're still relatively acute. They may need some form of transport, clear an elderly person who's fallen, can't make their own way to hospital, nor is that always entirely suitable. But what we're finding now is that the category three patients are waiting over three hours for an ambulance and 10% of patients are now waiting over eight hours. And in one service, 10% of those patients are waiting over 11 hours. Why is that? Well, the ambulance service, if you actually look at the number of 999 calls coming into it, hasn't gone up dramatically in, in the last two or three years. The, well, let me correct myself on that. The 999 calls themselves have gone up, but the number of people who need help hasn't. So what happens if you're one of those people who's called 999 for an ambulance and you're an elderly person or you're a relative of an elderly person who's fallen, clearly you're going to be quite concerned. I'd be concerned if it was one of my family. And therefore, you're going to ring 999 again, maybe ring again, maybe ring again and say, where is my ambulance? So what we're finding is that the number of 999 calls has gone up significantly. But actually, the number of people who call for an ambulance, actually who get an ambulance, has actually gone down. So that, that seems slightly odd. More calls are coming in, but less ambulances are going out. How does that make sense? If I work as a paramedic, I normally work a 12-hour shift. Go into work, pick up my ambulance, go out and do calls, and I will normally go from call to call. I'll get a rest break at some point during the call, but I'll, I'll be busy most of the shift seeing patients. I would normally reckon to spend an hour to an hour and a half on each call. So if I if I turn up for work at seven o'clock in the morning on a on a shift, I will normally by the end of the day, which is seven or eight o'clock in the evening, I would have seen probably eight or nine patients over that period of time. What happens is now I go to the first patient and if I can leave the patient at home, it takes me a little bit of time to sort out the pathways in the community. But actually, if they need to go to hospital, I can go to hospital and in front of me can be six or eight ambulances. So I then have to wait with my patient in the back of the ambulance, not seen by the emergency department. It varies slightly. And in some departments, they will take the patient in, assess them, put them back in your ambulance. But in many departments, they leave them in the ambulance till they can take them in. I've spoken to colleagues, not just in my service, but in other services in the country, to spend 10 or 12 hours in the back of an ambulance is now becoming very common. So I looked at the figures for the last month. There are 20 patients a day in England that wait over 10 hours to be handed over. So if you imagine that that's happening and getting worse at the moment, that if you're spending 10 or 12 hours in the ambulance, I can only go to one patient. So instead of seeing six or eight patients, I've gone to one. Now there aren't more ambulances on the road than, than there were before, but there probably aren't less. So if I'm only going to one patient and not eight, what's happening to the other seven? The, the issue is they're waiting and waiting and waiting. They're either deteriorating, or um, a, a different ambulance is sent eventually, uh, a relative puts somebody in the car, they make other arrangements. So what we're seeing is the daily working day of a paramedic or an ambulance member of staff has gone down from seeing eight or nine patients to seeing one or two. And, and that in a nutshell is where the problem is. Now, what's caused the problem? It, it's a whole system problem. So if you look at a hospital, the hospital will have a number of patients who need to go home. Many people, uh, many elderly patients cannot just be discharged. They've had an operation, they've had a period of illness, they go home and they get looked after at home by family. Many patients need some kind of alternative service or they need respite care, they need to be cared for somewhere else in the community. Those places are just simply not available in sufficient numbers. So the social care aspect is causing a lot of the problem. 
in that the patients in hospital can't go out. Most hospitals, if you talk to them, will say maybe they have 50 to 60 patients who are sat in a hospital bed, who don't need a hospital bed, they can't go home, they need some form of care, they don't need a hospital bed. That hospital bed is there full with the wrong patient in it, which means the patients sit in the emergency department who should be seen, uh, sorted out, discharged or, or treated or admitted should be admitted within four hours. That's the national standard that's existed up to now. We now know that patients wait in A&E quite regularly now in emergency departments for a day. So all number of patients wait a day, not four hours. So if you've got 30 cubicles in an emergency department, which some have, then instead of having, you know, sort of eight patients go through each cubicle in a day, they've got one. So those patients can't leave the emergency department. So they end up staying in corridors. Well, that's a problem because under COVID, we can't possibly keep a whole corridor full of patients. And nor is that acceptable from a privacy and dignity point of view. So patients aren't held in corridors from a safety perspective. So they're held in the ambulance. And what happens is you can't offload them. So I've sat with a number of patients for four to six hours waiting to take them to the emergency department. So on those days, I've seen two patients, not eight. And that, that in a nutshell is where the problem is. It's a complete system issue to get the patients from the ambulance into emergency department. And the patients can't go from emergency department into a ward because they can't leave the ward to go to the community. And, and that, in, in essence, is the crux of the problem is that hospitals are now opening up. During COVID, there was very little elective surgery. The hospitals are now opening up to elective surgery. So there are less beds available to admit patients into from the emergency department, and therefore they can't get admitted from the ambulance. And, and in the crux, that, that, that's what the problem is now. So the ambulance service is a barometer of the situation currently, but it's a barometer because um, you could see that it's visible, the same as emergency department, people can't be seen. The patients in a hospital ward, that's not quite so visibly into the public, but pretty much in a nutshell that that's what the problem is that's really interesting and i suppose from my perspective it's almost equally important to highlight what the cause isn't as well as the cause is and i suppose you could have people that come or are questioning whether to the initial point that you raised whether there are simply more people calling a e where whether people are calling a e when they could be going to a minor incident unit um or whether there aren't simply enough ambulances on the road or not enough, not enough para paramedics coming through the system. Are you saying that those are, aren't the primary issues that are at play here? Um, I mean, it is very much just the number of beds that are available to take people in, uh, in emergency departments, in hospitals, but in the system more broadly. I think, I think the problem is, is that we risk trying to fix the symptom, not the cause of the problem. And the main cause of the problem is patient flow through the system. So hospitals sit in there with large numbers of patients they can't discharge. Um, what I would say is it's very frustrating and a stressful place to work in the ambulance service at the moment. It, it, it's been difficult for a while, but we're normally seeing the problems now in the middle of winter. Um, colleagues are getting burnt out and fed up and leaving the ambulance service and they're leaving the ambulance service in quite big numbers. So colleagues that I work with and a number of people have left because standing in the corridor for six hours or sitting in the back of an ambulance for six hours with a patient is pretty soul destroying. People are getting fed up with the job and leaving. Um, a 12 hour shift, if you arrive at hospital and there's nowhere to put the patient, you sit there for three hours with the patient. So your 12 hour shift becomes a 15 hour shift. What happens is, is that we also hear on the radio, uh, our control centre regularly calling saying, 
we're holding a call with somebody with chest pain, somebody's collapsed, somebody's unconscious, is anybody available to respond? And you're all sitting there looking at each other, knowing that none of you can go and help that patient because you're with the last patient. And the patient who is at highest risk is the patient lying in the community who has not been assessed. They're the people that need help straight away. And you either hear the call go, no, you can't respond, or you get sent to the call. And certainly I and some of my colleagues have been out to patients that we found who've died or become to serious ill health at home simply because they've waited hours for an ambulance. If you're having a heart attack, the care in this country is absolutely phenomenal. A paramedic will go out, assess the patient, we'll do a 12 lead ECG. If you have certain kinds of changes on your ECG, we're trained to recognise that. We start a regime of medication and then we take you to a specialist cath lab. Cardiac catheter labs are placed around in regions. You take the patient there, they're, they're scanned, treated, a consultant or a registrar will look at them straight away, look at where the blood clot is in the heart, they'll insert a tube into the body, they'll actually treat, they'll either dissolve the clot or more usually they'll go in, surgically operate and either remove something or put a stent into the heart. That's truly world-class surgery. That didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago, but that's the care for patients. But you have to get there, picked up quickly, taken in and treated. So the care delivered is significantly improved, but you need someone there to pick you up. The same thing with stroke patients. The level of care now to stroke patients is phenomenally improved since I started my career in that now if you have a stroke, you'll be taken immediately to a hyperacute stroke unit. They'll do a CT scan. They'll work out whether it's a bleed or a clot. If it's a clot, they'll actually give you a, um, a, a special medication that will dissolve the clot. And I've seen people who've had very dense clots, very dense strokes who in the past would have been pretty moribund afterwards, treated and sat up talking within two hours. The, the, the treatment is truly, truly world class. Um, there's also a new procedure called a thrombectomy where they can inject, again inject something into you. They'll, they'll go through, find the clot and actually remove it and actually electively operate to take it out of you. But that has to be done pretty quickly after it's happened. So there's truly world class care in specialist centres, but that needs an ambulance free to go to you, recognise what's wrong with you and take you in. So the care is very, very good staff are very very keen and that's the stuff that we see in the media just how good the care can be but it relies on ambulance service that's functioning and it can only function if their staff are available to respond to the 999 calls you mentioned winter and the challenges that you're currently facing and how you'd normally see them in a couple of months time in terms of immediate changes that need to happen as we're sort of looking ahead to winter if there are a couple of things that you wanted to highlight any sense of what they might be Absolutely free up the pathways and, and get patients to the right place. If we did that, the system would work. Um, there's always going to be a debate of are there enough hospital beds? Is there enough space in the emergency department? But actually, if the patients flowed through, we've had some really good performance previously. And I think it's the whole system has become log jammed. And certainly it will be much, much more capable with if we had a position there where patients were seen, admitted or discharged within four hours in the emergency department and patients received an ambulance in eight minutes who need it or those for category two heart attacks and strokes got an ambulance in 18 minutes so i think the problem we're seeing is an ambulance is taking an hour to get there not 18 minutes to get there and at times much much longer so those are the bits that we as uh, ambulance clinicians are desperately keen to resolve and give patients the care that they need and they deserve but it requires the whole system how would we fix it i think it's about capacity in social care and keeping discharge planning working effectively We've had previous Nightingale hospitals that were helped over winter, and actually we need something akin to that to allow patients to be discharged to an appropriate environment where they can be cared for, the care they need, 
post-hospital, they don't need an acute hospital bed, they need some kind of step-down facility. That's absolutely where the investment, I think, needs to go to. And I think the rest of the system will rapidly improve if that were to happen. Do you think there should be a system where the government is considering reopening the NHS Nightingale hospitals that it was opened during COVID for that kind of step-down care? Many of those may not be appropriate. They're large open spaces, so they may well not be an appropriate environment. But that kind of push to suddenly have an increase in capacity would be the quickest way to unlock the system and to say, actually, how can we move these patients? When I say patients, they're, they're our relatives. They're our family. They're the people who are spending far too long in a hospital bed. And we know also that if you spend too long in a hospital bed, you actually deteriorate you lose muscle tone, you become more dependent on the system. People need, if they're the right, if, if they're in the right condition, to be able to be up and being mobilised uh, and being stimulated. That's what we need to provide to patients to keep them, to keep patients up, healthy and active. And, and so we're bringing people no, no real help, but by keeping things as they are, it's absolutely get get the system moving. And I think you'd see a significant improvement. It's probably worth just as a note to finish on, reminding people of why you do the job you do, what the reasons are that you think that being a paramedic is a worthwhile profession. Um, just speaking on behalf of your colleagues, I suppose, a lot of, you've mentioned the frustration that they're currently feeling, but in terms of the reasons why this is such an important role and why such a rewarding role, I suppose, at one level, what would your message be to people about the work that you do in that regard? As a paramedic, it's an immense privilege. Um, we, we see people at their best and their worst times going out to treat somebody. So I can think of patients I've seen in the last year. I've helped deliver a baby that, that, that did very well, was initially not breathing and then helped to sort the baby out. And the baby was then breathing and very, very healthy afterwards. I've been to somebody with a heart attack who I've taken to a specialist centre. They've reviewed, they've agreed that they did have a heart attack agreed with where it was and then went ahead and operated on that patient and they had an extremely good quality of life afterwards. Going to a stroke patient who again has had a stroke, you pick them up, you recognise the stroke, take them to a specialist centre and they get absolute world-class treatment. So the NHS provides a really, really good service and does a brilliant thing for patients. It just needs to be able to function effectively. So why do I do the job? I find it very rewarding and being able to see you've made a difference to that one patient and that family. I was involved in resuscitating somebody um, at the end of last year who um, had, had had a cardiac arrest. He had, was shocked twice and then came back. He's now back fully functioning as a member of society and back at work. And to know that that patient had absolutely world-class care, it got him. Um, he had a he had a heart operation after we picked him up, taken him to hospital, and had a specialist um, operation on his heart, and that meant that he was able to be discharged. And he's now back working uh, as a himself. He was a healthcare professional. He's now back doing that job now. Which had he not been resuscitated, he wouldn't be doing that job now. So they're the things that make a difference when you can actually intervene in somebody's life. Sadly, many people I've dealt with have died in the last year or two um, and we've seen a lot of increased deaths in covid we've seen a lot of people with mental health issues but i think the most rewarding things are feeling that you've genuinely made a difference to that person's care and that you've improved their quality of life afterwards richard Weber, thank you so much for your time this afternoon we're really grateful to you um i know that this is an issue that will be continue to be a feature of our headlines and our political debate going forward and it's one that we look forward to following closely going forward thank you so much thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of the From the Frontlines podcast. If you have any thoughts about our conversation, 
or would like to get involved in a future episode, please email fromthefrontline at healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. If you'd like to chat about our work as one of the UK's top health and social care public affairs agencies, please visit our website, healthcomsconsulting.co.uk. Thanks again for listening.